This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We'll be joined by guest social entrepreneurs and charity leaders whose trading models work to end homelessness. We'll be sharing their stories, tips, and of course, their face palm moments. Homeless Link is the national membership charity for organisations working directly with people who become homeless in England. We work to make services better and campaign for policy change that will help end homelessness. Homeless Link members get access to benefits that support you to build and develop your organisation and ensure your voice and experience is heard at a national, regional and local level. To find out more about Homeless Link membership for your organisation, visit homeless.org.uk forward slash join. Today we're joined by Bailey from Decamai. Bailey, welcome. Hi everybody, thank you for having me. So I'm Bailey, the Managing Director of Decamai, which is a three and a half year old social enterprise. We're based in Scotland, but um, we cover the whole of the UK supporting women from ethnic minority communities into setting up their own businesses, but also providing them with the right support to make sure that their businesses survive and contribute to the ecosystem. Awesome. It's brilliant to have you on. So as you know, we've got a few questions today, but in our true This Much We Know style, we will probably go around other ways too. So Simon, over to you for the first question. Brilliant. Well, it's really good to have you on to start with. Let's just say that and really looking forward to finding out more about your social enterprise, who you work with and how you how you work with people will be really interesting. And, and you're part of a series that Murphy and I are running, talking to women in in leadership positions within social enterprises so it's really good to have you on and hopefully we're going to have a really good conversation with you today um hopefully about a, a wide range of issues is generally how this thing works out so it'd be good to know can you tell us a little bit about about how you became involved in social enterprise and why your social enterprise sort of has chosen to work with minority women and business and enterprise how did that whole thing sort of come about so i come from a fashion and beauty background and in fashion, I worked with men and in beauty, obviously working with women. And it was obviously just a chance, not even a chance. It was a conversation I had with my mum. And my mum was like, Bailey, I think you'd make a great social entrepreneur. And she had been working um, with social enterprises. And she just said that I had like the characteristics of a good social entrepreneur. So she's like, I'm going to introduce you to somebody and you can explore the idea, like explore your passion with beauty and maybe empowering women. So I um, was introduced through my mum to several organisations and I quite like the concept of earning money but giving back to society too. And I tried um, a social enterprise idea involving hair extensions with um, ethnic minority women and it was actually a good um, idea but regulations changed and I stopped that. And it was only about maybe three years later, I was on a train journey to Edinburgh and the woman that sat across from me was like making eye contact in a friendly way. And I thought, oh, I can chat to somebody on this train journey. And um, I started sparking a conversation with her, asking where she was going. And she said, I'm going to pitch. I've got an idea. I'm setting up a social enterprise. And I thought, there it is again, that social enterprise idea. And I said, what are you going to pitch for? And she whipped out a pair of these pants and said, my empowerment pants, these pants are going to empower women. And that social entrepreneur is Sylvia Douglas from Miss Miss Misses. She's also um, set up Fem Foods and other amazing social enterprises. She's got three social enterprises on the go, but at the time she was going to pitch. 
and she was telling me about these um, empowerment pads that were going to help women who overcome trauma and she was going to just make lots of money from it but help women too so I thought there's that idea maybe I could do something and it was only when I was working in hospitality again that um, I used to get lots of people from ethnic minority communities saying to me how did you get that job how are you driving the company car and the company car was just a brand new mini but it was what I wanted but it seems as if they didn't know how to get into hospitality and not even just do front of house jobs or kitchen jobs but actually operational jobs and I just saw that as an opportunity to create jobs for ethnic minority women and youths to work in operational roles in hospitality but also earn money that way so that's how I started um, and I wanted a name that meant hospitality so I was looking different names in different languages and um, I like the Greek word xenia but you find it everywhere it means hospitality and it was actually when my pastor was preaching in church one day and he mentioned the name Dekamai. And I thought, oh, Dekamai, that sounds good. And he said it was Greek. And when I looked it up in one of the translations, it loosely said to go above gracious hospitality. And I thought, oh, that's a perfect name for my business. So that was how Dekamai was incepted in 2018. We incorporated it in, heard the name in April 2018 and incorporated it in November 2018. Wow, amazing. Wow. So a hospitality business starting sort of just before we saw the, the pandemic as well. So difficult, difficult time to go into it. But what a great story. I love that. We talk a lot on this podcast about those pivotal conversations with people where you kind of by chance meet someone in a kind of serendipitous way and you go, that's how I got into social enterprise. So another brilliant story like that, it's, it's what we like to hear. I met Sylvia in, I did a social enterprise course in 2019-2020, and she came as one of the guest speakers, and she walked in and was like, oh, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, you inspired me to become a social entrepreneur. Um, and she did her spotlight session and um, telling us about her amazing organisation. And that, as I said, at the time, she only had Miss, Miss, Misses. But as she went into the pandemic, she launched two other social enterprises, which also inspired me to know that even the pandemic can create the opportunities to continue to serve your community and to meet the need, even in a troubling and distressing time. Yeah, I think we've seen more than ever in the pandemic, the charity sector and the social enterprise sector are so resilient, you know, compared to a lot of their sort of corporate counterparts as well the willingness to kind of pivot and redesign and reevaluate where you can do things to maintain that social impact. You know, I was absolutely blown away working, working alongside people doing wonderful things in really difficult conditions. What does it look like day to day, your enterprise? So what sort of stuff do you deal with? What sort of events do you work on? Yeah. How can we sort of, what does it look like day to day for you? Okay. So I'm going to take you back to March, 2020 in the pandemic. And I rang my accountant when we went into lockdown saying, what do I do? And he said, you do nothing. He says, actually, the best thing you could do is wind up your business. He was like, you solely rely on hospitality and hospitality is dead. Like nothing is going on. And I thought, right, OK, John, I'm going to wind up my business. But I thought, I can't do that. Like, I love this. I've been on two social enterprise courses. I'm like part of a network, a fellow I can't mind the business. And in April was my son's birthday and I love to celebrate. So events are my thing. And I thought he's still going to have a birthday party. So I created these 
I called them party in a box. And it's basically everything that you would need to celebrate. Because I thought people are still celebrating. We might be locked down, but people are still celebrating. And um, when I created these party in the box, I had mum saying, oh, would you sell those boxes? And I was like, yeah, of course I'll sell the boxes. So during the pandemic, our party in a box was our bread and butter, basically. We started shipping them all over Europe, basically, to people who were celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, or just someone who just needed cheering up. I wrote personalised notes in them just to encourage people in the time. And then it was during a hackathon that we did with um, a corporate partner. And they basically said, looking at your value proposition, your value proposition is not events. Because during the pandemic, what we had started doing was we had started offering our enterprise courses. It was something that I had um, thought of before the pandemic, but it was actually the pandemic that catapulted us to um, deliver the enterprise courses because everyone was sitting at home and I thought, okay, let's teach people how to set up a business. So yeah, fast forward to November 2020 during this hackathon and being told your value proposition, the reason people know you is your enterprise courses and our impact from when I first thought of Decami, when I wrote our three-year plan in year three, the impact was going to be we would have supported 50 people. But in year three, when you look at it, we've actually supported 336 women and individuals. And that's once again through our enterprise courses. In 2020 alone, we supported 67 women. And then just because we had other corporate partners joining us saying we want to support you in this work, we're able to quadruple and multiply the work and have even bigger impact than we've imagined. So what does day-to-day -day look like? Um, it's varied. Today I had a meeting with my mentor. I'm on a podcast with you lovely guys. And then I've got like some strategy planning, cash flows to deal with for the next two years and also proposals to chase up. So yeah, the days are very varied. It's summer too in Scotland, which means that we're not delivering any work until after September, but it also gives us an opportunity to plan and strategize how we're going to impact more people in the United Kingdom and hopefully the world. Fantastic. Awesome. And out of those like 300, 380 people that have been through the enterprise course, have you had any success stories there like any impact come through that side of things we um decided to run a pilot program in may 2020 i remember it clearly the 19th of may 2020 i was like i'm doing my first pilot program and one of the women that came along was called aura and she was in her 60s and she said she'd always been an entrepreneur she'd come from africa and she was like she grew up as an entrepreneur but nobody had ever taught her how to be an entrepreneur so when she heard about our courses she thought gosh, someone can teach me how to be an entrepreneur to run a business. And her story was her dad had died when she was eight. Her brother was her caregiver, basically. And he had promised her dad that he would um, provide her school fees for her to go to boarding school. So he said to her, like, Aura, I'm going to do your school fees, but I'm not going to give you pocket money. You'll need to earn your own pocket money. And he was like, go to boarding school for the first term. When you come back, I'll think of a business idea for you. So when she came back, he was like, you're going to make samosas. I've realized that when I go to the bars and drink, I'm always needing something to nibble on. And he's like, but I don't want to go home and drink. So he was like, you're going to make samosas for the bars that I drink in. So that's what she did for um, her whole high school. She would make samosas and her brother got her different bars that she would um, make samosas in. And then she did the same um, university. She was 
her business was growing and to also make sure that it was sustainable. Her mom would make the samosas when she was at boarding school. So it was a year round business making samosas for local bars um, and restaurants. And she got married, she had kids and the business was basically laid to rest. And it was only when she um, got divorced that she had to start selling things, make sure she could look after her young family. So it was a great opportunity for her to learn about entrepreneurship because she had just been thrown in out of necessity. And for me, I saw that as a success story because she was the first entrepreneur I ever knew, or was my mother. So to see her in one of my courses, to be taught, I thought, okay, mom's here. She wants to learn and she always encouraged people to come to our courses. So yeah, that's my biggest success story. Oh, that was such a like, heartwarming twist. I didn't see that coming at all. That's brilliant. I wasn't ready for that one. That's fantastic. I love it. Is she somebody you'd put as an inspiration for your journey into social enterprise? You've mentioned her twice so far. So yeah, I think she definitely is. John Maxwell always says that like, as a leader, you need to always see like the potential in someone. You need to see them beyond what they are currently are. And I would never have seen myself as a social entrepreneur. I saw myself in fashion and beauty. And to think that my mom saw me helping people and making an impact and taking people on a journey. The thing for me is I never saw her as like an inspiration until she passed away. And I realized I'd had all this inspiration all these years. She'd inspired me. I saw the different things that she did. And it wasn't even hustling that she did. She would go to like plan in advance, go to a trip in a different country. But she would say, oh, I'm going to Germany. What do you want me to bring from Germany? What can I buy for you from Germany and sell it back to you? So she always saw opportunities wherever she went. And she always um, created opportunities out of the circumstances that she was in. And I think that's what an entrepreneur does. As Murphy's saying, you just see the opportunity in every crisis, in every good day, in every bad day. You're just seeing what opportunities can I get from this. So she has been a really big inspiration in my life and continues to be. Wow, what, what a legacy to leave, you know, if you can inspire your family and people you love to, to do things to better the world, that's, you know, life, life well lived in my book. Um, so yeah, sorry to hear, to hear about a loss. She sounds amazing. Really does. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, imagine giving your daughter that advice and then seeing seeing them do what you're doing now. She must be so so incredibly proud. You've got 336 women in the last three years have helped because of that. Those conversations, it's huge. Yeah, it's it's brilliant to be having conversations with people that are making a difference. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to the kind of essence of the podcast, as opposed, you know, really shining a light on the women in social enterprise. The, the reason for doing this is that although we see a huge amount of female entrepreneurs, women in social enterprise, we notice that there is a difference between those that are getting more funding, you know, the bigger social enterprise are predominantly male run, and we want to know why. <laughs> we, can, we can see these brilliant people organizing, you know, these companies, these organizations, these initiatives that are, are doing great things. So we want to make sure that we're, we're finding out what we can do to help. So as a woman in social enterprise, do you see representation at different levels within your network? You mentioned you've been part of a few different um, social enterprise courses in the sort of fashion and beauty world. You worked probably with men and then with women, you know, so you, you've got some sort of different industry perspectives and I guess your understanding of hospitality too. Do 
do you notice a difference in the sector? I definitely notice a difference. I think, obviously, according to all the statistics, most social enterprises are run by women. I think the percentage is like 60% of social enterprises are run by women. Sometimes I do wonder, yeah, why are the men get more funding? But sometimes it is women just get on and do things. I know we just get on and do things. We shout about it as much. Maybe we don't celebrate it as much. We don't talk about it because we're just doing it. Whilst men stop to talk about it. They stop and tell everybody about it. And I'm so glad that there's so many um, opportunities have been created over the past couple of years where we have stopped to recognise the work of many social enterprises that are existing. A few weeks ago was the NatWest SC100, and I know Do It Now Now in England, they won for Trailblazer, um, but also in that category was Carries from Social Stories and Music Broth, led by Jen, all amazing social enterprises that I love and just cheer on. So to see that quite a lot of women are getting the recognition that they deserve for the hard work that they're doing, not even hard work, but the amazing work that they're doing. I think it needs to be spoken about a bit more, but there is still work to be done because even if we just don't look at social enterprises to begin with, but if we look at entrepreneurs as female entrepreneurs as a whole, I know in Scotland, the female social, female run businesses account for 8 billion into the Scottish economy but with the right support that could be 25 billion and it's the same according to the Alison Rose report where it'd be like 25 billion would be turned into 100 billion so it shows that there's things lacking for female entrepreneurs and it's the support maybe the understanding of the different financial options it's now that I'm having more and more people around me I'm speaking to them about financial um social investment for Decami, and it's probably something that wasn't on my radar as much but it's these conversations that I'm having to sort out or learn more about and I think it's what women need we need the information for us but also the opportunities because people will do say to me there's only so many courses you can go to before you start saying show me the money and it is the access to finance that women need to make sure that their businesses continue to grow. And also, I know um, one of the things that women are caregivers, we look after children, we look after elderly relatives, there's other things that we need to take in consideration before even turning on our laptops every morning. So there's, whilst with men, I guess, unless they're the house husband or whoever, and looking after the child, then they don't have as much responsibility. So they, I would say, maybe have a bit more hours in the day in comparison to the women who are juggling everything to get through their day. So those are just some of my thoughts <laughs> offloading on this podcast, many thoughts. but And then just to go back to the courses, yeah, I've done two, they were nine-month programs on social entrepreneurship in Scotland. Um, and one thing that I noticed was the lack of ethnic minorities, particularly black um, social entrepreneurs. And even with the courses that we deliver, they've got charitable heart and social hearts in them. But lack of social enterprises that we're seeing coming through, it, I think it represents about 30% of the businesses that we've supported, whether it's through even just a consultation or business support, it comes from 
they're not um, engaging much with social. We've actually recently, we're launching the first Black Social Entrepreneurs Programme in Scotland, and that launches in September. And even then, it's I see all these businesses who are doing social things, but they're limited companies or they're self-employed. But to actually have them incorporated as a social enterprise would be the next step that I see for them to do. And I guess it's also to raise awareness because that's the conversations that we're having in the community to say, okay, you're doing this. Do you realize what you're actually doing as a social enterprise? I get people all the time contact me and say, oh, we're running this business. And you're like, no, you're running a social enterprise. It's different. And they're like, yeah. we don't even know what one of those is. Yeah. It's, yeah, that happens a lot, actually. And I think that's probably quite common. There's a lot of people out there who think they're running a regular business, but actually it is, yeah by all accounts social enterprise is quite a it's an interesting thing because i don't know what we yeah what do we do with that because <laughs> is it okay that they can sustain commercially and not have to yeah not work in a social enterprise way or is it bad that they're out there and not yeah not considering themselves in i the think it's even space? deeper than that you know i think, think we yeah i think we see people particularly people who have come from a community support position who develop these social enterprises and they don't even know what they that they're doing as much as they're doing they think they're kind of you know volunteering a couple of days a week to to run like a support group and they're not they're running a you know impactful business but they just don't have the tools to to articulate it and maybe formalize it in the way that they could and that's where programs like this that you're running have so much value to give people the tools to to share what they're doing have the courses that you've been on what what have you what's the biggest thing that you've taken from what you've learned to what you're trying to to incorporate in the courses that you're delivering I think it was after one of the spotlight events turning around to Tracy who's the director of school for social entrepreneurs and saying to her Tracy I love the peer-to-peer support that I'm getting here I love the learning and just the learn by doing but I was like I've realized that there's nothing like this for ethnic minorities I'd like to replicate this and she was like go for it and that's where the idea came from because the peer-to-peer and even one of the biggest lessons I learned was to see every room as a room full of opportunity so even seeing this zoom room right now as a room full of opportunity and the girl that sat next to me was creating outdoor experiences and she was wanting to work with marginalized communities and at the time obviously I had my events head on and I thought okay I can't see any collaboration between you and me but in the pandemic onwards Rachel and I have had the biggest amount of collaboration out the whole 20 social entrepreneurs that um, were in the class because I incorporate her outdoor hill walking into our programs because I think it's beneficial for a social entrepreneur and an entrepreneur in general to have that self-care ingrained in their routine and their week. So we take our social entrepreneurs, we make them um, create an itinerary for us and we do one of the Munros or the um, hills in Scotland and we basically climb up and it's a case of team building, helping each other up that hill. We stop and have lunch, take in the views and then walk down again. But it's always out with the city that we're in to make sure that we're actually taking ourselves away from our desk, away from our work, away from our children and everything else. And we've just collaborated so often. And that's what the beauty of social entrepreneurship is, is the collaboration and 
I guess, always seeing how can we work together? Is there any common things that we can do and we can instill? Um, so yeah, I, that was what my biggest takeaway is the room full of opportunities and the learning. Um, I'm, I do, I'm an experiential learner and I just loved the way um, both Social Enterprise Academy and School for Social Entrepreneurs delivered. It was easy for me to digest and it wasn't something that, it was something that I could take that day and put into my business and actually move the business forward. And it wasn't just all theoretical um, things that I had to think about. So, and I think as social entrepreneurs, we're just so responsive and we're ready to action something. So yeah, I highly recommend both those courses. Brilliant. We, we partner with Social, School of Social Entrepreneurs for our enterprise development program. They, they sort of do some work on our learning program um, as Simon. So yeah, we're, we're big fans of those. And yeah, the courses are, are brilliant. I think that that key thing is that sort of implementable knowledge where you can make a decision following a workshop, you know, rather than going home going, oh, I need to understand everything. <laughs> You're like, okay, cool. Here's some practical steps that I can take away and actually do something. And I can see a result from that. And then if it doesn't work, you can go back and you're still in that learning space to go, what happens now? You know, what, what scenarios, what do they look like? I also think the self-care thing, I love that. I think it's brilliant because there's so many social entrepreneurs that I've worked with over the years who aren't social entrepreneurs anymore because they've just sort of burnt out you know given up gone done something different because they just couldn't take the sort of the pace and the pressure of it anymore and I, yeah I just think oh some of them had been taught some self-care at the beginning and, and thought about okay how do we sustainably make this last you know because the personal cost that some social entrepreneurs make or yeah the, that cost is so high um yeah. and yeah so I love that I think it's a brilliant idea <laughs> when, when can I go for a walk do you know what I was actually I was on a walk I went for um about an hour and a half walk before this podcast because had a gap and I thought I'm going for a walk I'm making sure so I have that in my daily routine I go for a walk at seven in the morning when my family is asleep and I go for a walk at seven at night so my seven and seven and then in the afternoon I try and go for a walk too because it's my way of getting away from my desk and also just preparing myself for the afternoon or the other meetings that I've got. So I used to wait until the end of the course for that walk, but now I'm putting my walks in daily. And that way I've got that daily habit of getting away and not just thinking about work. And my son always goes, are you off for a walk now, mummy? I'm like, yes, mummy's off for a walk. So he even knows mummy's off for a walk. She could be an hour, she could be two hours. It just depends how my mood is. And what I need to like process for the day. But yeah, I think it's really important. Just small things. We, it doesn't need to be a big thing. It can just be that small self-care. I think even just like to be better functioning at work as well is is huge. It's not natural to sit face your computer, you know, jumping from really. And I think with being a social entrepreneur, you have five hats minimum you know, to jump from being an accountant to a marketing expert to pitching, you know, you can't do that simultaneously. It's, it is really important to have that stop and differentiate what role you're in at what time. Um, and we know, you know, there's huge amounts of evidence around, you know, altruistic professions, helping professions and burnout and the risks are, are severe. And we saw the pandemic have a really big impact on people for that as well, because, because what you're doing 
you know, not only are you looking after your business, which has a really personal interest, but also you are personally connected through the cause that you're working through. So there's kind of two, two areas of pressure that, that can easily lead you to overwork yourself. So yeah, it's, it's really nice to hear that's happening. And I think that's happening more and more, you know, companies across the sector are becoming more aware of how to work with their staff to make sure that they are um, yeah, able to look after themselves. So across like the last few years, since 2018, um, have you got a favourite facepalm moment? So a moment where you just wish that you weren't there or I wish we'd thought about this ahead of time so I didn't end up in this current position. Um, so I guess it's like a favourite failure. Yeah, or you really put your foot in it. Mm, a favourite failure. Um, well, I guess the most recent one, and I, I always think I'm up to date about these things. Was, so I've two of my best friends are Muslims, so I've grown up all my life with Ramadan. Um, and we recently delivered with a group of Islamic women in Edinburgh, um, and it was falling over Ramadan. So during Ramadan, we're just doing drop-in sessions over Zoom just to check in on them, not delivering anything. And I said to them, we're still waiting. I said, ladies, go get grab yourself something to eat, something to drink uh, whilst we wait for the others. And as soon as I said that, I was like, something to eat. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. They're fasting by Neely. What are you talking about? <laughs> So I just like looked at the room and I was like, sorry, ladies, I didn't mean, I was like, it's an automatic thing for me to say, get something to eat, something to drink. I was like, I did not mean to say that. And they were like, it's okay, Bailey. I was like, okay. And then I told my best friends and they were like, like, why would you say that? They were like, you've never said that to us. So yeah, I think that's the most recent thing. And um, there have been some near, some near failures, um, I think last year, the year before, I was um, I kept on applying for this fund and I was rejected for the fund. And um, then I was invited to apply for another fund with the same organisation. And I wrote out this email just tearing into them, basically saying, like, you've knocked me back for this fund so many times and now you invite me to this other one. Like, do you just want to keep seeing me fail and say no to me? And I was just ready to send it and I never sent it. It's still in my inbox this very day <laughs> as a constant. And because they came back to me and offered me that support. And yeah, they end up, we end up getting the funding. Um, it wasn't the original funding that we wanted, but we got the funding that we needed. Um, so I keep that in my inbox to remind in my drafts to remind me of what could have gone wrong because I was sending that out of anger and out of disappointment but that was the emotion at that time and if I had sent it probably would have burnt the bridges and um, I don't know how they would have taken it um, but I didn't send it so it's just okay, now I step away from my laptop and think okay does that need to be sent today can I wait till next month? You feel the same way sending that email. So I'm glad I didn't send that one. Mm, I think that's a good yeah. tip for, for professional and personal life too. <laughs> um, I think yeah. with, funder, with some funders, it's just so difficult, isn't it? You get so frustrated. You put so much energy into writing that funding bid or going for chasing that money. You put so much energy and time and brain power into it. And then if you constantly get 
sort of declined you're like but you don't know it takes me a week to do this and it's really you know and the funder just quickly says no and then you yeah I can yeah I've written that email several times (laughs) yeah I've I've written it and sent a few (laughs) there's there's a few times where it's kind of being advised to apply for a a fund and then they come back to say you're not eligible (laughs) you asked me (laughs) um but yeah it's a big thing it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier as well around sort of your peer networks and understanding that it's a room full of opportunities and we are always planting seeds working in this space you never know how people are going to help you whether it's going to be through an introduction um a suggestion through funding through whatever you know it might be someone sharing sharing your story on socials so we've we've obviously asked you all the questions outside of our original questions as we do this but you've just got such interesting things to say so we will we'll head back to the the questions and then likely veer veer off shortly afterwards so what one of the questions that we also want to ask everyone on here is is who they're watching you know which how can we empower other women who are running social enterprises um is there any particular organizations that you're seeing at the moment that you're working with or or inspired by um there's a couple of upcoming ones in scotland coming up they've still to be incorporated so um there's one that is dealing with like abuse sexual abuse in the ethnic minority communities um so she's working with like young girls and women um, and also empowering them through underwear. So that's one to look out for. Um, she's still to choose a name. So as soon as I get the name, I'll send you guys. And I'm trying to think of another organisation. There's many that we're trialling out um, that are still coming up. So there are a few. Oh, sorry. One of my favourite ones is um, Read Goofy. And it's it's like a digital library for kids. So Joan, she's done one of our programs and she's just like amazing. She also does like online, like cultural appropriation things that she does on a Friday with her girls, just teaching other kids. So that's quite, that's something that I watch um, on a Friday with my son too. I think those are the ones. Oh, and I came across one that I was introduced to called Scoutable and it's Football Academy, but also providing a platform for young footballers to get spotlighted and for scouts and agents to find them so I am I've still to do an introduction what to introduce myself but it was I've been following their work and I was introduced them through someone else basically wow great some really different examples as well yeah I'd like to know more about the football social enterprise that's that's quite an interesting thing to get involved in isn't it actually if you think about the yeah the sort of money that transfers around football and how that works but also that I picked up from some other organizations I've worked with around what happens to young people when they when they don't have a, a professional career that they thought they were going to have um and yeah. the player I think I guess they're working in that space but the, yeah. there's an organization that support professional footballers and that's one of the things they're really hot on I know some of the big teams are introducing like um skills So with the young players that you're talking about on a Wednesday, they go to college and learn a subject. So whether it's like um, a language or a skill so that if they're not successful, then they come out with a skill that they can later on develop. And um, Scoutable, I know one of their sponsors deals with teaching ex-sportsmen, ex-footballers how to become like financial advisors, so reskilling them that way. If you or one of your colleagues would like to find out more about the social enterprise development work at Homeless Link, 
we will be holding our annual Enterprise Development Conference on the 16th of November. For tickets, please go to homeless.org.uk forward slash event forward slash enterprise hyphen development hyphen conference. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk.